My team and I recently released GreenPath's Learning Lab, featuring online courses and tools. It's free and easy to use. Visit GreenPath's Learning Lab by going to www.greenpath.com slash learning lab. GreenPath believes everyone deserves a chance to pursue their dreams. Take the first step towards yours. I'm so transparent that sometimes I have to make sure that I am sharing with him in a way that doesn't um, put burden on him. You know, I don't want him to feel the stresses of, you know, having to make financial decisions, but I, you know, make every effort to expose him to, you know, he knows how much money is coming into the house every month. He knows what our mortgage is. He knows, you know, he, he sees the budget and he sees me sit down and kind of go through, um, you know, what has to be paid and what we need to do and how I make adjustments to account for arising situations. And there's no question that if he asks, I'm not afraid to answer. Welcome to episode 19 of Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Lugazima. Today, we have something a little different. Recently, I moderated a live version of Real Stories called Family Lessons About Money. Our conversation features tips, challenges, and resources around raising financially healthy kids. Several of our panelists were past podcast guests. Whether you're a parent, mentor, or teacher, we hope you find inspiration from our discussion as we explore how we might support the next generation in their financial wellness journeys. When I was approached to to do this topic, the first thing that popped in my head is like, this is one of those things where it's just such a experiential type of situation where it's not about us just giving you a lecture of like, these are the perfect things to do with, you know, helping your kids and their financial health. It's a messy topic, obviously. And so that's why I wanted to gather um, some individuals that we know at Green Path with real world experience with this, both in terms of uh, as you'll see, some of our panelists have experienced uh, in the financial literacy space, uh, but most of them, uh, three of our four panelists, uh, are parents themselves, and we'll speak from that uh, perspective. And then we also have someone that teaches uh, financial literacy to college students and also has his own unique perspective as well. Let me introduce our panelists here. And as each of them introduce themselves, um, we're going to ask them just to share you know, real quickly about who they are, um, if they have any any children, and then one thing they do that embarrasses their kids, uh, or if for the panelist that doesn't have a kid, one thing that you might remember that your parent might have done uh, to embarrass it. I'll, I'll start with myself. So I don't have any children myself, but my father, oh my gosh, he would sing in inappropriate places, including on mountaintops, very loudly, totally out of key, the most terrifying moment, uh, he would always sing very loudly at church, and that was okay. You're supposed to sing at church. But then the choir director went up to him once and said, oh, you have such a beautiful voice. Would you love to join our choir? And I was mortified. Thankfully, he said no uh, for my for my uh, you know, sanity there. But uh, 
In any event, uh, let's start with Bernard, if you could introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Bernard Dillard. Uh, I'm from North Carolina originally, and currently I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I teach at Fashion Institute of Technology. Um, I'm a math professor. I teach several courses, uh, statistics, and um, the one that's more appropriate here, the mathematics of financial life management. It's a course I developed about three years ago because I was a little unnerved or a little disappointed at the level of financial literacy among, among college students. So I ended up creating that course. I teach it, and it's basically a math course that teaches math through the lens of personal finance. So um, it's, it's quite a fun experience. Um, I also um, wrote a textbook that also uh, is accompanied with the course. And um, that was quite an interesting endeavor because um, students always say, is this is this you? Is this the author? And I always deny it. I'm like, no, I don't know who that author is, you know, so. Uh, but it's, it's, it's quite a fun experience because you get a chance to speak with students about kind of where they are financially and help them to understand that they can wind up in places um, that are good financially, even if their parents didn't necessarily teach them those things about it. So um, I'm, I'm kind of on a one man war to kind of teach this stuff in college spaces where I arguably think that they should be. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Bernard. Let's now turn to Tanisha Leonard. Hello, everyone. I'm Tanisha Leonard. Um, I think I am the sole panelist today that doesn't have a financial literacy background. Um, I'm just a mom who's made some financial mistakes um, in their life, um, who's now on a mission to make sure that my son doesn't make those same mistakes and that, you know, I've equipped him with the tools to, you know, live a very financially healthy life. Um the thing I do that embarrasses him, uh, kind of much like Chris's dad, I love to randomly belt out tunes. Like if you're in the grocery store and Donna Summer comes on, oh, there's a full on performance around the cart, which he uh, absolutely loves. So I'm excited to be here today and, you know, looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Tanisha. Next, we have Kristen Holt. Hi, everybody. Tanisha, I think you should find an opportunity to break into song during this podcast. I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> I, too, I too like to break into song from time to time, but I won't uh, do that for all of you. Uh, so uh, so I'm Kristen Holt. I'm CEO of Green Path Financial Wellness. I'm really proud to be part of this panel and be able to be part of uh, bringing this all to you today. Um, I am a mother of two girls, uh, they're behind me over, I can't ever point on camera. They're behind me over here above the piano. So my girls are 15 and 11. Um, so those are my girls and I'm happy to share some of my experiences with them uh, around, around this topic. And what I do that embarrasses them, probably so many things, but the one that comes to mind is when I post pictures on Facebook, because number one, Facebook is obviously just so, you know, yesterday to, to my kids. Anyway, whenever I post stuff, they're like, wait, you're not posting that, are you? And then I have to like go through this whole process. Is this picture okay to post? And then they let me. <laughs> awesome. Um, let's see, Andre, you're next. Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Andre Boxwell. I'm a financial coach and HUD certified housing educator or counselor with the CDC of Long Island. I teach a financial capabilities course and provide financial coaching to clients I work with. Um, I've been doing financial literacy and, and coaching and counseling for around 10 years. I'm also a father of a 13 year old. And to answer that question, um, what's most embarrassing for him? That's an easy one. 
and I'm sure I'm not the only father here, but the dad jokes. That's an easy one. So dad jokes in public or around his friends or anybody else, that usually triggers him and sets him off. And sometimes I think they're great, you know, myself. But um, that's what triggers him, for sure. All right. So let's start with the first question. This first question is for Tanisha. Um, how transparent are you with your child when it comes to decisions about the family's finances? Um, I'm extremely transparent. Um, sometimes I actually, I'm so transparent that sometimes I have to make sure that I am sharing with him in a way that doesn't um, put burden on him. You know, I don't want him to feel the stresses of, you know, having to make financial decisions, but I, you know, make every effort to expose him to, you know, he knows how much money is coming into the house every month. He knows what our mortgage is. He knows, you know, he he sees the budget and he sees me sit down and kind of go through, um, you know, what has to be paid and what we need to do and how I make adjustments to account for arising situations. And there's no question that if he asks, I'm not afraid to answer Okay, so now the same question I'm going to ask for for Andre. So with with your your sons, it's a little bit younger. So Tanisha, your son is 15, 16, 16, 16 now. Uh, and then Andre, your son was recently turned again? 13, just turned 13. But same question, how transparent are you with him when it comes to decisions about the family's finances? Um, quite transparent, um, although I don't believe as transparent as Tanisha. Um, just because um, that balance between making adult decisions and that true burden of stress, financial stress, they have a lot of that to look forward to in their own in their own life. So that balance of teaching, educating, sharing, transparency is kind of important. However, um, it really comes out when impulses kick in. You know, those conversations really seem to heighten and come into play. And then that's when reasoning and laying things out and explaining how things can work or that ob obligations that are coming down the line may take priorities. Although that's a nice opportunity right now, it may feel like it could compromise other things or jeopardize other things. So having that balance of con consequences, timeline, time frames, um, Understanding pay period cycles that we may need to, you know, plan on saving for two, three weeks for something like that. Um, and we'll make those kind of adjustments. So those kind of real life examples come out quite often when the impulses kind of kick in. Hmm. And so it sounds like you, you kind of like pick your moments when it when it makes sense. Right. And then also saving behaviors. That's another constant that we always kind of discuss. So those saving behaviors um, are that opportunity to always, I guess, highlight the importance. And then recently, um, one of my son's major savings goals over like a three-year time period, as soon as he heard when the Xbox 3 was coming out, he wanted, had to have that, right? Meanwhile, his Xbox was nothing wrong with it, right? So he decided to come up with a savings plan, a good year, year and a half. Um, before it came out, it came out. We had more discussions about maybe waiting to figure out if there's any glitches or checking out what other things. And he also wanted a computer at the time. Now he had new interests, you know, young children, sometimes interests low, right? So then he wanted to maybe get on more gaming. 
on computers as opposed to Xbox. So we hesitated, continued to save on his goals. And just on his birthday, he reached his goal and decided to buy a personal computer that he could do some gaming on instead of that. But save around three years to do it and mm-hmm. learned a tremendous lesson. That's one of the cool process. things, too, is is like just the benefits of even though he happened to be saving for something else, at the end of the day, he still saved. And so now he had the flexibility to pivot in, into something else because he still had that that habit that was built. So that's that's really cool to see. Um, so this next question is for Kristen. Uh, think back to your childhood when it came to how money was approached in your family. What is one approach you're continuing to model now that you have uh, now that you have children? Or alternatively, what is one money area where you're taking a different approach? Sure. And I think my answer kind of relates to what we've already heard from Tanisha and from Andre. Um, so one thing my parents really modeled with me was saving and paying myself first. And so like from the moment I had my first job when I was 10 years old, walking dogs in the neighborhood, I had to save half of everything I earned. And so that was this mantra that was just built into my like DNA that when you earn money, you save half and then the other half, you can decide what you want to do with it. Um, and so I really tried to continue that mantra with my children. Now they're not really earning any money yet. I got to figure out like how my parents got me to get a job at 10 years old. Um, but really having them understand the importance of saving and paying yourself first and then you know living on whatever is left. Um, on the conversely, I think it kind of aligns with what Tanisha was sharing around transparency. So my parents were very focused on saving, but they didn't really help me understand like how much things cost or like I never knew like how much our house was worth or what our payments were on the mortgage or that kind of thing. And so trying to be a little more transparent with that to to try to have them understand like, yeah, you live in this house, but it's an expense and it's something we have to pay for every month. And there's these other expenses and like just trying to make that a little more real to them. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that transparency is something that's evolved in our culture because just thinking back to my own experience, but also just in talking to a number of guests on the podcast where I asked them similar questions about their experience with money, a common theme that I hear is not really getting much of a window into their family's decisions. And yet another theme is exactly what you were talking about is just this desire for increased transparency, which can take different forms, right? We saw Tanisha and Andre have slightly different takes on it, but still in the in the overall uh, theme of more transparency for the learning opportunities that they present. So really cool to hear. Uh, so this next question is, is, is for Bernard. Uh, so you guys remember Bernard uh, teaches financial literacy to college students under the disguise of a math class. I wonder which one is scarier, actually. Um, but what are some common struggles with money that you've observed with the college students in your classes? Yes. Um, and before I do that, I forgot to mention my embarrassing thing. So sorry about that. And a, a lot of the students kind of like are my children. So I, I do remember um, this past semester, we're, of course, we're all virtual. So um, right before the final exam, I just kept saying to myself, yes, summer is here. No more students. No summer is here. No more students. So they came in and they were taking the exam. And I kept saying it out loud. Summer's here. No more students. And then finally, one of the students said, Professor, your mic is on. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty embarrassing, but but anyway, uh, 
Uh, some of the common struggles I think that I've observed for um, it, from a lot of college students is number one, understanding how credit cards work. One of the first things I ask them when we start that unit is, how do credit cards work? And they say, you swipe it, you know, and then that's it. You walk out with what you want. And we kind of struggle with having them to understand how credit cards really do work and that when banks send you um, your bill or your statement, they're hoping you only pay that minimum amount. And so we, we go into details about why do banks only want you to pay the minimum, minimum amount? Um, why are they so nice to you? You know, they, oh my gosh, I owe $300 and they only are asking me to pay 25. That is just so nice, right? And so we get into how banks make money off of us. And uh, another thing in terms of common struggles is that students tend to have is how do I balance out um, prioritizing what to pay back first in terms of, because a lot of them have student loans. So um, looking at student loans and then I tell them about retirement. And so they try to figure out, well, should I pay all of my student loans off before I save for retirement? So just trying to find that balancing act in terms of prioritizing um, what should be paid back. And a lot of them just don't even understand the gravity that you know, what happens when you don't pay these things back, especially credit cards in a timely fashion. We have a question that that popped in that might be great for Bernard to answer. Um, do you think making your kids an authorized user is a great idea? If so, at what age? Um, May I just jump in to explain for the audience, like, what is an authorized user? Yeah. So, yeah. On, a, on a credit card, <laughs> you have the ability to give someone the ability to use the card to make purchases, but an authorized user is not legally responsible for the debt itself. So with that context, Bernard. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm only answering, I mean, I'm not the guru of finance, so this is just my personal perspective. So others may agree or disagree. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that... Um, it's a good way to help your child get into the world of credit. Um, there have been some articles that I've read that says, oh, no, don't make them an authorized user in terms of uh, the parent and the child. But um, some argue that it's a really, really good way to whet their appetite into the credit world. And if they make mistakes, then they're making mistakes under the supervision and guise of their parents. Um, one, one thing we kind of stray away from is having you become an authorized user with another friend <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because that could be, you know, you can end up on Judge Judy with that one uh, in terms of, oh, yeah, well, we were friends and I thought they were going to pay this. I thought, I thought they were going to pay that. So um, a, a lot of uh, experts um, agree that students should um, perhaps become authorized user with parents. And in terms of the age, um, I don't know. Um, some say 19, 20. In other words, why you're in college so you can have that room to make the mistake. Mm. So now I'm curious, have any of our panelists, and I see Kristen has your hand up, uh, <laughs> would they or have they or would they uh, add their kids as an authorized so user? So with you, Kristen. I recently ventured into this world and I got the card for my 15-year-old. Um, and partially it was because they were offering some incentive that if we spent money on a new user on our card, we would get you know, 5,000 miles or something like that. So we opened it first to just like put some charges on and pay it off and get the little bonus. But then I was like, oh, you know, it'd probably be convenient for us now that she's doing a lot of things without us for her to have it. And I was hit the jury's out. So the good news is I think we set the right parameters with her as far as she has to ask me before she can use the card. 
Um, and I only let her use it for things that I would have paid for normally. So like she took her sister to lunch and so she's like, can I use the card? Yes, you can use the card to pay for lunch. I would have paid for the lunch for the two of you. Um, so that's okay. But one of my, I feel like, like now, like when she knows she can use it and then like, she's using it for a couple extra things or they like went and got a smoothie too. And I was like, yeah, I didn't say you could go get a smoothie also. So I feel like she's kind of trying to push the limits of it a little bit. So I'm trying to figure out how to like bring in that education piece to it too. Of like, okay, well you used it. I said you could use it for lunch, but you also used it for the smoothie. So we're going to have to take that money from your bank account or, um, or worse, you're going to have to give me the cash. Cause one of my things to another question was going to be like my kids hoard cash because they never have it. And so I feel like I need to take that extra step of like really making her understand the cost. Very cool. Tina, I see we have another question that came in. Yeah. So what would you recommend for a parent that would like to set their child up with a financial tutor before college? Well, uh, yes, um, I'll definitely talk about this one. I, um, as a financial educator who teaches classes, um, the population that I feel that I am always missing out on is those young individuals just starting out in life between 18, 21, 25, 26, because I find myself working with folks who've got themselves into all kinds of financial troubles, disasters, mix up, and we work on now trying to learn how to undo all of the damage. Um, so the opportunity to begin to instill some of the lessons, some of the core concepts, understanding the rules, just consumer awareness, general consumer awareness um, aspects, understanding credit use, personal finance, before they have an opportunity to start making money, spending money, making these decisions on their own. Um, and then any child you know is gonna try to test any limit and they have to live from experience and sometimes learning the hard way, just like we did in the past. So no matter how much we tell them, they're always gonna have to try their, on their own and sometimes learn the hard way in certain steps in, in life. That, and that actually brings up a question I was gonna ask uh, Tanisha right along those same lines. Uh, thinking back to a financial decision or behavior you regret from when you were in your teens or early twenties, uh, first, if you might share about that experience, but just as importantly, <laughs> would you influence your, your child to avoid this at the same age? And if so, how, or if not, why? Um, yeah, but before I do that, I also wanted to respond to the financial tutor question. You know, I have been uh, lucky enough. There's some really good youth financial literacy, just groups and camps that happen in our area. So, you know, as you know, I wouldn't say a tutor per se, but there are definitely some programs online and in real life that I think are good to expose kids to, um, you know, just again, foundationally before they get in trouble or have the ability to get in trouble that you can get them involved in that I think are great. Um, for me, my biggest probably mistake, it was definitely speaking to um, uh, what Bernard was saying, and I think it was Andre, the credit card, you know, cycle, you know, you're bombarded with them at a certain age. You know, when you first go to college, you hit campus and there are literally 20 credit card companies that, you know, want to give you this offer. Um, so I definitely got in the credit card trap really, really early. So yeah, again, it's much like, you know, the other panelists teaching my son that 
there are, the credit cards are making money for someone. And there's a reason they want to give you this card and kind of understanding the pitfalls of what that looks like, what the long-term implications of misusing credit are. Um, so it's definitely, a, you know, high on our list of things that, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my son's fully educated about. We have a new question. Yeah, please, Tina. Yep. What financial resources do you recommend for a middle school student and are there classes they can enroll in? There are some free general resources that are out there. Um, I know practical money skills is, I believe it's a kind of financial literacy program sponsored by Visa, I believe. And they have a bunch of, you know, younger, um, I guess, financial literacy tools, games, tools that are geared towards younger people. And I know there's free access to something like that, but I know there are some really helpful tools available at, at practicalmoneyskills.com. Another nonprofit that I have experience with is Junior Achievement. Now it depends on your area, um, but they're all over the country. Now they usually work more through the schools and it's a very volunteer driven model, but I was a volunteer with them for a number of years. Um, and it's something you could look into seeing if it could come to the school. I know um, here in Detroit, and I think it's national as well, they have a really cool experience where you like come for the day or they can do it virtually as well. And it's like a real life simulation and you get a job and you get your income and you have to pay your taxes and then you have to go make your house payment. And it's a really cool like try to make it real for kids. Um, and that particular experience is targeted specifically at eighth graders. Um, so that'd be another thing to look into, but it, it kind of goes depending on where you live. So community by community, and then it's typically deployed through the schools. Although I'm sure they probably have a lot of online tools for parents to do with kids too. I just haven't looked at that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, in my, in, in my past life, uh, I was actually a, a sixth grade math teacher. <laughs> and um, I think if there are any educators on here who teach at that level, um, I think uh it's, it's a good thing for, for you to be comfortable in integrating that into your math classes there. Um, I, I remember when I was a sixth grade teacher, um, I became vain and part of my class management system was something called Dillard Dollars, where um, I, I cut out pieces of green paper, I put my face on the center and it was actually a dollar and they had to earn it. Well, earn it for what? Well, I mean, I kind of went overboard. I had a class store and I got parents to kind of buy into the idea, you know, they, they donated soccer balls or, you know, whatever. This is when I was in Atlanta. And I literally had a class store where if you wanted to get something out of the store, you had to buy it with Dillard dollars. Well, how do you get Dillard dollars? You had to earn them. So, so in, in other words, you, you kind of meet them at their level. And it, it may not be as involved as that, but understanding that students understand if they want something they, they have to earn it. So you're just trying to get creative and try to develop ways to get them to understand that they're not entitled to it. They have to earn it. So that's kind of what I did. That's really cool. We I'll, had did, a, a panelist chat in really quickly that I just wanted to throw in. Another idea is um, youth financial education through nonprofit financial institutions like credit unions. They offer like workshops and community events that you could participate in. Sometimes they're online. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that out there because when Kristen was talking about junior achievement, this person chimed in and was like, oh, what about this? So wanted to make sure that did not get overlooked. Awesome. Thanks, Tina. And and Bernard, if you still have any Dillard dollars uh, that you saved, maybe, maybe uh, 
I think they may be, although I'm friends with a lot of my former students on Facebook, and I think a couple of them still have them from like way back when. <laughs> nice. I'd have to earn them, I imagine, but uh, right. we'll see. All right. Now, question for Andre. Uh, what is one challenge when it comes to influencing your child's financial health? I guess the competition that's out there. Um, not only the, I guess the a whole system of advertising and marketing towards young people, but just the, um, the opportunities that maybe children feel that they could be missing out of if they don't participate or have access to something. Um, so <clears throat> what I found is there are so many external, I guess, inputs that really help shape the minds of our, of our young people, trying to have those open, open open communications and learn what their actually inputs are and then being able to provide additional guidance to provide information, anecdotal information um, that's accurate, I think builds a lot of conversations. Um, I know right now my son is really into gaming and streaming and there, is, there are children out there making thousands of dollars a week, supposedly, just doing those activities. So in a mind of a 13-year-old, is wow, that would be a great opportunity for me. I would love to do that. Let me invest more time and more energy and try to do this and try to do this. From my standpoint, it's a very foreign concept, right? We've never grew up seeing 13-year-olds making thousands of dollars at the American. So these conversations have been really developing. I try not to damper dreams and, and squash, but try to understand and, and, and share that balance. And um, where we're at now is I can understand that opportunities you want to pursue and participate in, of course. However, we also need to think about alternatives that we need to spend time and invest with as well, um, as far as still prioritizing your education, building other skills besides that, that can maybe lead to other opportunities down the road mm. for you. So there are some challenges. Lots to juggle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll ask the same question to Kristen. Um, what is one challenge when it comes to influencing your children's financial health? And I also wonder if it's different because they are, you know, four years apart. Yeah. So it's definitely this challenge of making it real. So I liked the idea of the Dillard dollars too, like that does kind of make it more real for them. Um, so my, my kids have bank accounts, but I think they view their bank accounts as like where birthday money goes to die. And so like, I'm like, do you want to put that in the bank? And they're always like, no, because they know they like, will never see it again. Um, and so I haven't figured out how to make it real. And then this other thing, like, so then because of this, they hoard cash. So if they get like $20 in the birthday card from grandma, like I will never see that again because they know like that's the only way they can get cash is when it like shows up in this way. And then the other thing is like, so when there's something they want to purchase that, you know, I'm not going to buy for them. So I'm like, well, you're gonna have to use your own money for that. They're like, okay, just take it out of my bank account. And so then it's like, cause like that money already wasn't real to them. So then it's easy for them to make this decision about like, yeah, well, I just take it out of my bank account. And so I have not figured out how to like fix this. You would never say that to your bank or credit union. Ah, just take it out of my, they, they might, <laughs> right. But you never tell them just take it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, if anyone has any advice for me on this one, cause I am, I'm really struggling with it. Like I thought I was doing the right thing by 
you know, instilling the savings and opening the savings account and all of that. But now we've got this thing of like, that's fake money. Now I will say with my older daughter, we now opened a teen checking account for her because she has this little job that she's not getting paid much money, but she's depositing her money into that. And she has an ATM card with it too. And she has it on her phone now so she can see the money in there. Um, and that's helping because now it's like, this is money she earned. She's putting it in the bank. She knows she can get to it from the debit card, but now she sees like how little she earned. And then she's out at the mall with her friends and you're like, oh, that's those shorts are $40. Like that's like half of what's in my account right now. So I'm not going to buy it. So I think I'm starting to get better with her, but. And, and Tina, I think we got a suggestion for, for Kristen from one of our uh, attendees. Yeah, one of our partner experience managers said you could try using the 50% rule that your parents instilled for you. So 50% of all the cash goes into the bank. Any money you spend comes out of the bank. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because right now I'm kind of more like, you want to put it all in the bank? <laughs> so that's why they're for And then the bitterness might ensue, right? <laughs> um, so this next question is for, for Tanisha. Um, how do you define success when it comes to raising a financially healthy child? You know, it, it's tough to put a, a label label on it, but I think that for me is, you know, seeing him very early make good decisions about his own money. Again, I, I agree with Kristen. I think sometimes he feels like the bank account is where birthday money goes to die. But again, you know, it's it's a having that sentiment, like you know, being cognizant that you know, once I put this money away, it's put away for a reason. Uh, but really, just seeing him, you know when he wants something to weigh that balance of, you know, is it worth, you know, spending my money to do so? You know, he wanted a skateboard. He's never skateboarded in his life. Um, and earlier this week, he wanted to buy the skateboard off of Amazon. And I'm like, if you want this skateboard, I'm not buying a skateboard because you're going to use it for two weeks. And, you know, and he looks them up and then, you know, much like Kristen's daughter, he looks at the cost of the skateboard and he looks like he looks at what he has in the bank. And, you know, just him taking that moment to make sure it was something that he really wanted to do. It tells me that we're on the right path. Um, and then I think that'll look differently, you know, as he gets older and are, is in, put in different situations. Uh, but yeah, it's really about good decision making. Interesting. Um, next question for Bernard. Uh, how do you know if your students are, quote unquote, getting it beyond the discussions in class? Are there any indications that the lessons either are or are not sinking in? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I mean, because, you know, again, a lot of them are just trying to finish the course so they can get out and graduate, you know. So you want you say, well, are they really getting it? And I, I've actually had some um, quite interesting experiences and it happened more than once. So I guess it was not much of that an anomaly. But I've actually had students to email me afterwards after the course is over. You know, they, they're grown. They're doing their own thing. They're in their own apartments. And they actually email me and say, thank you for this course. <laughs> I'm like, OK, who's paying you to, to, to do this? You know, but um, but yeah, they they are. Um, I, I literally just had one after this semester ended when the summer started. And it was a student who said um, I think she had maybe like five thousand dollars worth of credit card debt or whatever. And she had chipped away, chipped away and actually paid it off. So the email was a thank you email <laughs> saying thank you for helping us be aware of this and um, that, that's just always a good feather in the hat um, when you know that it's more than just somebody just trying to get an A in a course, but they see how I'm really trying to help that. Because I, what, one thing I tell them at the beginning of the semester is 
I created this course because it's one that I wish I had, <laughs> you know, right. when I was coming along, especially in college, um, you know, you just did with algebra and calculus, if you're able to take that or whatever. But there was, and, and even if it's like an econ course, it's dealing with like American economy or something like that, not, not personal finance, right? So um, I, I'm just always satisfied whenever I get those thank yous or I, I'll be walking on campus and somebody will stop me and say, yeah, you know, you told us about Roth IRAs and now I got one, you know, so um, just that feedback um, that's apart from just trying to get an A or B in the course, um, that's just really, really always satisfying when students reach back out and say thank you. So that I, I think that's a good indication that they're quote unquote getting it. <laughs> Yeah. So just yeah. kind of hearing how that whatever knowledge they learned at the time translates into awareness or behavior change even later. Yeah. After yeah in course. real life. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, next question is for Andre. What has your son taught you when it comes to money? Well, this was actually a very surprising story I have I have to share here. Um, I guess. December 31st, I got into a car accident. I had my car. It was a hybrid. It was paid. I was no injuries or anything. It was just one of these things that wasn't my fault. Um, my car was paid off. I was had no payment, had a hybrid, great gas mileage. Everything was great. Um, so then I had this life event, didn't plan for, and how did we adapt? So my son watched me go through these financial decisions over and over again over the next following week week and a half. What am I going to do? Where did I stop shopping around? After I did with all the accident stuff and the insurance stuff, as far as him watching me mull over these decisions and he understanding the individual that I am, you know, from being so close together. One day we were just driving and we're discussing about which, which, you know, which is my going to be my permanent solution. As far as which car, what am I looking for? What are my price points? What are the attributes? And keep in mind, I already got accustomed to driving a hybrid car that had great gas mileage and was paid off. So this was going to be a whole new adaptation for the budget, lifestyle, everything. Um, my goal, my dream was always to get a 4x4 truck so I can go out of the beach, so I can do other activities that were a little more adventurous, which is kind of like my lifestyle and, and, and fits my personality. However, for my family and for economic reasons, I always kind of drove a hybrid, <laughs> which was the act opposite of that. So as I'm considering this life-changing event and thinking about, man, I would love to get a, a, a four by four now that I have this opportunity. And I was like, no, I can't do that. That's not responsible. Right? I had to really go out and get the hybrid so I can make sure we have responsible gas mileage and all this. And, he, and my son just looked at me and said, Dad, you work so hard. You can manage whatever you need to manage. You should get what you want. You should truly get what you want, at least for the first time. We see you make all these different decisions. You know what? If you got what you want, you'd be happy. You could work it out. And you know what? I think you should do that. And you know what? That's what I ended up doing. So my son ended up influencing me to make a large financial decision, kind of organically, just through highlighting um, priorities um, and wa watching me go through the process and finally this just giving me like the reality check like that. Boom. It's time to just do what you want to do at, at this point. You deserve it. 
And that kind of financial lesson I didn't expect to receive cool. in that way. It means something was sinking in. And, and he also knew that like you're not going to just make an impulsive purchase that you wouldn't make the numbers work to as well. Of course. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. And I, if I can hop in and just thank Andre for that, because I am in that precise position at this moment. You know, car paid for, haven't had a car known years, rented a couple weeks ago. And so I'm struggling with that. Okay. okay. You just gave me all the clarity that I needed. Thank you. Hey, thank my son. <laughs> that was that. that was <laughs> that's really cool. Um, okay, so this next question is actually uh, for you, Tanisha. Um, so, one of the things that I've I've always seen this struggle. Uh, Andre might remember this. I would always pose this question when I would guest speak at his um, financial fitness classes that he teaches for adults. So you have these two common long term goals that families will often have, which is saving for retirement and saving for kids college. So the question is, if resources are limited, where it may only be possible to focus on one or the other, how would you decide which goal to prioritize? That one is pretty easy for me. I had a financial advisor some years back who said to me, you can borrow to pay for higher education. You can't fund, you can't borrow to fund your retirement. Um, so for me, um, you know, I'm hopeful that we won't have to borrow for, you know, higher education, but I definitely prioritize the retirement savings over the the college planning, um, try to strike a balance. But if I had to choose, it would definitely be the route to uh, to secure, you know, what I like to call me sitting down because I have no desire to work forever. So, and I, you know, and I want to retire comfortably. Um, so, you know, that was pretty easy for me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's almost like we all know about the boomerang effect when a child moves out and then comes back if they're not ready to fly financially. The same could happen for for parents if, you know, the kid does really well, but then if they're not in that position, they might be back in that situation to to need to rely on the on the kids, which if it's something that's discussed with the kid, great. Sometimes the kid then has a spouse or, or a financial partner that maybe is not on board with with the parent living with them. So it, mm -hmm. it, it could be complicated. Um, same question for Kristen though. Any any thoughts on that one? I had the exact same answer almost word for word that you can borrow for education, but you cannot borrow for your retirement. So um, totally agree. Now, that being said, I think if you have an opportunity to put even a little bit away for college for your kids, I think that sends a really important message um, you know, even just the smallest amount in a savings account, I you know there's data that shows that kids who have a savings account are more likely to go to college and finish. And I think, you know, starting that conversation early with your kids too, about like, what are some creative options we can look at? You know, how, how can we look at saving some, and then what are some creative options we can do so that maybe we don't have to finance as much? Um, so there might, you know, I think this also depends on community and career and, and whatever, but I think Oftentimes, like my kids, we had a babysitter that we were really close with who graduated from the University of Michigan, but she did her first two years at our local community college. And then she was able to transfer to U of M, ends up with her degree from the University of Michigan. And she had no debt at the end of that because she was able to save so much money by doing the community college for two routes, not two, two years. So I know it doesn't work for everybody, um, but I think there's creative things you can do around the education piece and if you can 
if you can get just even a little bit to send that message of like, I believe mm-hmm. in you, I believe you can go to college, mm-hmm. I'm going to help you in any way I can. But the retirement has to come first, for sure, for the exact reasons that Tanisha said. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting perspective, just even, as you said, like just putting that intention out there. It doesn't mean, like, even if you're focusing on retirement, doesn't mean you're ignoring uh, kids' education. It is a balancing act, as, as we know. I think um, I'm going to add to that, Chris. I think it's also a good place to where transparency helps um, because, you know, talking to my son since he was in middle school, you know, I'm like, I want, you know, you will go, you know, I want you to go to college, you know, if that's what you want to do, but I don't want you to go into debt doing so. You know, I always say that my parents paid, I came out of college student loan debt free and I, it's a blessing that I want to impart to my son. So, you know, as early as seventh grade, I'm like, okay, I want to send you to college. I don't want you to have loans, but I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, you know, I'm like, I've opened, you know, they have the 529 savings plan and I put him on a course where, we're going to start now thinking about how you're going to get a full ride to pay for your college. And I'm like, everything I've saved for you to go, I'll give it to you in cash when you do that. So I'm giving him that financial incentive that, you know, if we can achieve this goal and we work for scholarships and we put ourselves and, you know, you're willing to make a commitment to be in the right programs, you know, the cash that we've saved for college once you secure X, it's all yours, you know, and just to kind of make him a part of that decision making process as well, because it is absolutely my end goal for him to go to college fully mm. paid for by someone other than myself. So. I love that idea, though, of incentivizing it. Uh, so you're, you're both have reason to invest in it because it, it is a it's almost a full time job nowadays. I'm searching for scholarships sometimes with all the ones that are that are out there. So, Bernard. What are your favorite money lessons? And I'll put with the caveat that aren't too math heavy. <laughs> okay, well, okay. So this one involves math, but this is to hook them into it. So I have two. Um, one hooks them into the course. So, and Chris, you probably know the answer to this. I, I tell them you only have 30 days, like a whole month, and you start with one cent. And you double that one cent every day. So for the next day, two cents because that's double of one. Then you double the two cents. You got four cents then eight cents. How much do you have at the end of the month? And they're like in they're guessing, they're guessing. And they are quite taken aback when they realize at the end of the month. Anybody want to guess? <laughs> I'm the wrong person. I'm a math tutor. Oh, okay. so so you, you literally me. start with one cent, one one penny and you double it. So by the end of that month, you have twenty one million dollars. Yeah. I mean, and, and so what we try to power of <laughs> exponential, if you try putting two raised to the 30 in your calculator, you'll right, see right, it'll break the calculator. Them compound interest, but like their jaws are like just dropping by the time I, I show them that. Uh, yeah. uh, another one that's not too, too math heavy is teaching them about budgeting because, you know, you can sort of talk to you blue in the face. Don't spend all your money. And, you know, and so what I actually do um, is I use Skittles candy, you know, or, or beans or it's called the, the jelly bean budget game. And because jelly beans are just too expensive, sometimes I just call it the Skittles jelly, uh, Skittles game, you know, and they have, I think, three sheets of paper that has the different categories of life. So you have housing, transportation or whatever. And so say, for example, for for housing, you can either put four Skittles under live by myself and all the way down to two Skittles where I have a roommate. And so they have to make these choices and decisions for like different categories, because if they run out of Skittles, guess what? Oh, well, you know, and so it, it teaches them um, how to kind of budget their quote unquote money over the spend. And then you have entertainment. 
Oh, oh, okay. So you want to go to this Beyonce concert? Put four, four Skittles right there, right? And so they find out that they only have a, a certain cap, a certain limit. And now the only time this didn't work was that I had a, um, I had a, a daughter of a famous actor in my class. And she says, well, whenever I need more money, I just get it. Mm. <laughs> but I said, okay, so imagine that your father is not such and such and such. What are you going to do when you run out of Skittles? And so then to follow up on that, um, I say, okay, you graduate and you finally get a raise, a three Skittle raise. And so now they have 23. I said, but now you don't live at home anymore or you don't live on campus. And it's quite interesting because almost invariably, even though they get a raise, they still run out of Skittles, right? And so it kind of helps them contextualize life and say, well, okay, I want to live on the Upper East Side. So that's automatically four Skittles. And, and it forces them to prioritize, what do I do in life when I kind of run out of Skittles? And so we, we kind of talk about that. I have to get another job. Have to, I, I can't go to as many concerts. Or if I want to entertain myself, I find creative ways to do it in the city um, by finding free things to do. So but it's, a, but that, it's just a really, really good, I think, a uh, good, easy way for them to figure out how to budget without it actually reaching their pockets, you know, their real money. So you bring up an interesting thing, though, with the story about the, well, I just asked for more Skittles. I remember yeah. once I, I talked to someone who was the was the parent who was always in essentially an ATM yeah. to the kids and because that became normalized in their behavior, that when the kids grew up and eventually the, the parents are like, I can't anymore, I can't afford mm -hmm. it. They got older. But then the kids were kind of used to that habit. And then the ATM and or the advances on their credit card became that new yeah. Yeah. source. And the thing is, that's obviously a lot more dangerous because of all the fees and, and things oh, and my impact on your credit uh, that, that could affect that. Now, you, you did allude to fun activities. So this will be my last question uh, in the next two minutes. I'll, I'll, I'll pose this to Andre, uh, and then if we have time for others. What is your favorite free activity for the family? Andre. All right. Um, well, nature, number one, right, um, is always there, and an adventure is always ready to be had, right? So just taking a, a walk in the woods, any there is woods, a trail, um, going to the beach, when I was when he was younger, using the library, all the free services there, things like that. Um, and then as far as other community groups or other friends networks, you'll find yourself invited to other parties or opportunities or picnics or other opportunities to other friends that may not have expenses for you um, that are kind of opportunities to participate in things. Since I got my four by four, one of my greatest activities, which took some investing into, so it's not necessarily free, but one of, one of the things we always used to do was camping in the backyard instead of going away, trying to do a survival week and not go in the house from like seven o'clock in the morning to the next seven o'clock. And we can't go in and we have to spend a night in the backyard. So that was another thing that we always used to do. So I had all that gear. So now just taking that a little further or going on the beach, doing things like that um, have been great. And Kind of came in timely with the pandemic and everything and, and, and the lack of activities, having that as an as a activity to do, we could do on our own and just be out there has kind of been, been timely and been utilizing it a lot more. Yeah, yes. I love that. I love that. So with the final two minutes, let's just do rapid fire uh, with Kristen, Tanisha or 
Bernard if they have any fun free activities. I don't have anything nearly as exciting as Andre. Um, we, uh, my son likes to cook, so I guess it's not completely free. So we will, um, you know, find interesting recipes that we'll try out at home that involve things that we don't usually eat. Um, but other than that, you know, we're we're binge show watchers on you know Hulu or Netflix, and yeah, nothing. You know, we're not camping. I need to step my game up a little, I guess. But um, <laughs> nothing wild or exciting. But you know, we enjoy our time together. Very cool. Kristen? Google is your, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Google yeah. is your friend. You can type in free, type in your city, and you'll be surprised at what comes up. <laughs> I do it all the time in New York. So That's for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm a huge advocate of the library, so call out for that, um, especially like when my kids want a book and they want me to buy it. I'm like, no, we'll get it from the library. So trying to understand that this free resource, as I like to say, is included in your property taxes. So you might as well have right. that benefit. And uh, we like to play a lot of cards, although during the pandemic, we did start playing a bit of poker, which was maybe not the best <laughs> life lesson. But my older daughter, that's why she has so much cash, because she kept beating us. So. And I'll just yes and one of your points about the library. My local library, a lot of them have this, have free museum passes that they collect. Yeah. Um, so we could utilize that to check out all the amazing uh, things that you might normally have to pay for in your area. So, well, thank you to all my panelists. First, thank you, Tina, uh, for fielding all the, the chats that went in and for helping to organize today's event. Thank you, Andre, Bernard, Tanisha, Kristen. I really appreciate all your insights. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of your day and rest of your thank summer. Thank you. Please consider sharing your thoughts about this and future episodes by completing our audience survey. The link is in the show notes or visit www.greenpath.com slash real stories and click on the purple take the survey button. We value our audience's opinion. Check out our new learning lab for free short online courses on financial habits, credit scores, credit card repayment, and more. The learning lab was created by the same people who created this podcast. Check it out at www.greenpath.com slash learning lab. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasting platform you use. Doing so will make it easier for others to find us. Well, that's a wrap on episode 19. Special thanks to Hero for our theme music, which will play us out. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. Welcome back, hero.